Today is Tuesday, April 18th. The title for our devotional is The Story of Humanity. I think the best way to bring clarity to our thinking around this topic of grace and salvation and obedience to Jesus is following the big story of Scripture. A while back, I was getting my hair cut by someone who doesn't normally cut my hair. My regular stylist was on maternity leave, and the stylist shared that she used to go to church until she and her boyfriend move in together. I get up and into these conversations all the time. Once I say I'm a pastor, it just kind of, the dominoes fall from there. The pastor, uh, her pastor, had a conversation with them expressing that he thought it was wrong and that she didn't like what he said and so they don't attend the church anymore. After sharing, she asked me my thoughts on the matter and how I could address it. My first thought was, let's, let's finish my haircut in case you don't like what I have to say. But I said a quick prayer to myself and decided to trust in her professionalism. I tried to share with her what I'm going to share in this devotional for today. Of course, it was much more brief and I stumbled through it because I didn't come to my hair appointment with notes on all of this. But anyways, the biblical story pretty much begins with the story, this whole story, and carries it throughout the Bible. In the opening chapters of the Bible, we see God giving Adam and Eve one command. Genesis 2, 16-17, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's so much to unpack here, but we're just going to kind of focus in on the command piece and obedience to the commands. Then in Genesis 3, we find the serpent subtly challenging God's command. Remember, God gave them one command. Don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And God's intentions. So he challenges God's command and God's intentions in giving them this command. Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then a couple verses later in verses 4-5 through You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Without going too deeply into this text, remember, this we could go a lot of directions with this. This is profound. This text, text speaks deeply into humanity's response to the commands of God. The implication in the story is that God intends to teach Adam and Eve the knowledge of good and evil. He himself will teach them. Those would be good things to know, as is image bearers who are given authority over all creation. The temptation for Adam and Eve is then to disobey the command of God and to reach out and take this knowledge of good and evil for themselves in the form of the fruit on the tree. Instead of looking to God as their source for what is good and what is evil, they seek to define it for themselves. So this text speaks to something innate in human nature that seeks to be independent of God. We don't want to look to God for his definitions, for his teaching on what is good and evil, and obey those. Instead, we want to define good and evil for ourselves. Paul will later refer to this as our flesh and our sinful nature in the New Testament. This text, it also points to the temptation of Satan in our human experience. We're not the only forces at work in the world. Evil is at work as well. Satan works primarily through deception. He sows seeds of doubt and confusion about God's laws, which are actually quite clear. It's quite clear. Don't eat, don't eat from that tree. <laughs> he also sows seeds of doubt as to the character of God, which leads us to our third point. Satan deceives Eve by questioning God's motives in giving her this law. He accuses God of trying to hold humans back instead of protecting them from harm. At the heart of how we perceive God's rules, then, is how we perceive God himself. Is he our loving Heavenly Father who has given us guidelines, rules, and commands to promote our flourishing? 
or has he set them more for malevolent reasons? This is similar to our maturing process that many of us go have gone through. In junior high, we often perceive our parents' rules as oppressive and unnecessarily restricting. This is the stereotypical classic example, right? Often unknowingly, we attribute ill will towards our parents. Then as we become adults, we look back and see that the rules and discipline even was for our good. They were attempting to create an environment that was safe and conducive to flourishing. How we perceive of God and our parents then is indicative of how we perceive of their rules. In the rest of the Old Testament, we find this pattern repeating itself, the pattern from Genesis 3. God gives the Israelites rules through the law of Moses. These rules reveals what holiness looks like. Obedience is required. However, those forces, humanity's sinful nature and the temptations of evil, are too much for humans to be righteous in and of themselves. The people constantly, quote, did what was right in their own eye, as Judges 17.6 tells us. Ultimately, their failure to uphold the righteous standards of the law leads them to be disciplined in exile to Babylon and Assyria. This is where Jesus comes in. He becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John 1.29 says. He becomes our righteousness. He fulfills the righteous standards of the law by living a sinless life. And in his death, he takes the punishment of humanity's sin upon himself. In his resurrection, then, his righteousness is imputed to God's people through faith when they believe in him. He fulfills God's promise to put a new heart in his people and cause them to walk in obedience to his commands, as Ezekiel 36, 26, 27 says. He does this through the Holy Spirit who indwells believers and produces fruit in them. Our obedience to Christ, then, is in result of God's election, salvation, and transformation in the life of the believer. We aren't obedient to earn God's favor. He has given us his favor in his election of his people, and he has even done the work of giving us a new heart and mind, giving us the Holy Spirit so that we can obey his commands. This is the theme, really, of the entire book of Romans as well. So, for those who have received God's grace and salvation, obedience to God's law is the result of the newness of life that we have in Christ. It is lived in the power of the Spirit who produces fruit in the believer's life. As we mature in Christ, our behavior, thinking, feeling, etc. becomes more like His. We find our will transforming to God's will. So obedience to His laws becomes a joy. We recognize more and more that it is for our good and our flourishing that God has revealed right and wrong to us. We can rejoice in His law. We find it is like swimming with the stream when we obey our Creator's laws. When we rebel, it's like swimming upstream, fighting against the current and the ways of creation. This devotional is already getting long, so we're just going to wrap it there. I'd encourage you to read Romans 1 through 8 in one sitting. If you're going on a car ride today, just have the Bible app read it to you as you go. It's a great place to get large chunks of scripture into your life. Uh, Or schedule some time to just sit down and read all of Romans 1 through 8 in one sitting to just get the flow of Paul's thought as he is unpacking the, the story of the gospel and obedience and the law and everything and the theology of Romans 1 through 8. So if you don't have time today, schedule some time this week to read it through in one sitting.